Our philosophy here on Two Teas in a Pod is to use English in its most natural form. Therefore, occasionally a bad word may slip through the net. This episode contains adult language. Welcome to the podcast, Two Teas in a Pod. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Two Teas in a Pod. Welcome back to Two Teas in a Pod. Welcome back, guys. How are you doing, Katie? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited about this one. This is part two to the climate change part one. Exactly. Green uh, movements. Green movements in ELT. In ELT. So yeah. make sure you've listened to part one first because uh, this is part two yeah. and it would be weird to listen to part two without listening to part one. Indeed. Last, in the last part, we talked to, well, Tim talked to Harry Waters from Renewable English and he talked to Johanna Stoling and Christopher Etchells from ELT Footprint UK. I highly recommend going back and listening to them mm-hmm. before you continue with this one. So what's coming up in this episode, Tim? On this episode, we spoke to Colm Downs from the British Council Climate Action in Language Education um, about their Climate Connection online course, about their Climate Connection podcast that they're releasing that's already been released. You're going to hear a little clip of their podcast to get you interested. Nice. Um, and they were, you were speaking to him from Indonesia. Yes. Amazing. We've yeah. gone international. Exactly. Fabulous. Exactly. So it was really great to speak to him. Um, and then we spoke to uh, Daniel Barber from ELT Footprint Worldwide um, about the origins of the ELT Footprint movement. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last episode, we spoke to ELT Footprint UK, um, and this is the it's a separate movement, isn't it? They well, they're kind of like brother sibling movements. Sibling movements okay? okay, so the original movement was ELT Footprint Worldwide, um, and then ELT Footprint UK is like the, the younger branch. brother branch of the same movement all working towards the same goals um and it was really inspiring talk talking to daniel about um yeah green movements how we can be more green putting pressure on governments putting pressure on corporations Mm. um and yeah it was really good fun good chat all right enjoy so we're talking to colin downs from the british council the climate action in language education how are you doing today colin uh, very well, Tim. It's nice to be with you. Mm. Uh, where are you joining us from today? I'm in Jakarta. Um, I work for the British Council so in Indonesia, and mm-hmm. I'm working from home because of the pandemic, like uh, I think a lot of us are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about the origin story of uh, the organization and your specific area um, of it. Okay. Uh, well, the British Council, the British Council's been around for a long time uh, mm-hmm. as a global organization um what <laughs> how can i sum up the british council briefly <laughs> i would say that we are a an international organization and our role really is to build connections understanding and trust between people in the uk and and other countries through arts culture education and the english language and we work in sort of two different ways we we directly engage with individuals to transform their lives and we work with governments and partners to to make a bigger difference for the long term trying to create benefit for people all around the world um so we we do this by helping young people to gain skills uh confidence and connections that they are looking for to realize their potential uh and to participate in in strong and inclusive communities and we we help them to learn english uh, to get a high quality education and to gain internationally recognized qualifications. So our work in arts and culture uh, sort of stimulates creative expression and exchange. Um, in my area, specifically, I work in our what's called English for Education Systems uh, team. Uh, we work to try to improve the quality of English language teaching, learning and assessment in, in the countries that we're in. Uh, we do that in a variety of d- different ways, and so a lot of it is around professional development for teachers, but it's also around working with ministries of education on policy decisions, uh, um, curriculum reform, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, we're we're all over the world, more than a hundred countries, um, and we are 
constantly evolving, I would say. And mm-hmm. we've been evolving through the pandemic and we've been doing a lot more recently online. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think as, as many people have. Um, mm-hmm. That was a, yeah, a long introduction, but um, I'm okay. sure people are familiar with the British Council. Yeah. yeah. And specifically the climate action in language education, how long has that been uh, going on? That's a, a good question. So we're not climate specialists. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a specific climate uh, new team. Um, but what we have decided to do, uh, certainly this year, because obviously this year the British government is hosting COP26 um, in Glasgow. And we decided to look at our programs across society, arts and culture, uh, education and English, look at really what the British Council does well and think, uh, like, how could we put a green lens on that? How could we contribute towards you know, tackling the climate crisis through our own work and through what we do? And so my role in the English team is to develop a program uh, which we've called Climate Action in Language Education uh, to develop some resources, do some research, um, to 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 to, ha- to 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 really as an effort towards you know what can the ELT sector do and everybody in the ELT sector um, do towards tackling climate change. Mm-hmm. I saw you were talking about some research and some there were some interesting statistics I saw um, of yours saying that. Um, 87% of ELT believe that ELT teachers have a significant role to play in climate change education. Um, and that everybody, 70% believe climate change should be included more in course books, but lots of teachers feel like they're not prepared to deal with the subject in their classes or feel like they need some sort of training um, to be able to deal with the subject better. Um, so I understand your running online courses um, for, for training teachers to, to do the, just that, right? Yeah, let, let me say a little bit about the different strands of our program. Um, and I'll start with the research strand, because you mentioned it first. Mm-hmm. So we commissioned two expert researchers. So there's Christopher Graham, who's one of the founders of ELT Footprint, the Facebook group, and a, and a UK researcher called Deepa Rachandani. Uh, and we tasked them with you know, conducting a whole series of interviews with all the key stakeholders in you know, talking to publishers, talking to schools, talking to universities, talking to examination providers, and talking to teachers and, and learners um, about climate change and, and what they're doing at an individual level, at an institutional level, at an organizational level. Um, so our teacher survey that you referred to that we did in January and we put out a survey and through our network you know we can reach a large audience so we had over 1,800 teachers um, from about 100 countries respond to that survey and yeah you just said some statistics that the majority of those teachers uh, believe that they have a role to play in bringing climate change education into their teaching um, but they also, you know, a smaller number, but still a significant number, said that they didn't yet feel mm-hmm. well prepared how to do that. Um, they would like some training uh, of how to integrate climate change issues or in, in sustainability into their English language lessons um, in order to, to make that contribution. So that was one of the an interesting finding from the research. Mm-hmm. Um, our report that, that Chris and Deepa uh, are writing up at the moment is really a series of case studies of good practice um, from around the world. That report is going to come out in, in June. Um, maybe I'll just pause there in case you've got any questions about the report, and then afterwards yeah. I can tell you a little bit more about the, the other elements to our program. What are some of the examples of good practice that they found in the report? That's a good question. So, one of the things that Chris has found is that there, there is a lot going on. That's the first thing to mm-hmm. say. Um, all around the world. Uh, what what we also found though is that people don't necessarily know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not very well joined up. Um, so you might see individual action in uh, Tunisia or 
in Togo in Africa with some amazing work being done by schools or um, in, in those countries. They don't necessarily uh, know about each other's initiatives. Um, so there isn't really this kind of space for, 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 for people to learn from each other. And the second thing, in terms of some good examples, let me, well, one thing I, I'll tell you, like there's a University of Pennsylvania in, a, in America, uh, just before Trump got elected, it was in the sort of last days of Obama's um, sort of second term, but they got funding to develop a, a MOOC. Uh, it's a you know, massive open online course for STEM, but actually it's really about English for climate change. And it's a phenomenally successful MOOC. I mean, they've had over 100, 140,000 people from around the world sign up and enroll in that MOOC. And over 80,000 know, people have done that MOOC. And, and we know from speaking to them that a lot of those people are English teachers. So that's like a large-scale successful um, initiative. And then at a sort of smaller level, you've got individuals. There's a... Owen Llewellyn is uh, quite well known in some circles as a, you know, a champion of this area. And, and Owen, he's a, a British council teacher in, uh, in Algeria. Uh, but in his spare time, uh, he's been, yeah, he created a website called ELT Sustainable uh, back in 2012. Uh, and he's been plugging away, training passionate teachers Know, how to integrate environmental issues into their teaching uh, for for many years, and mm-hmm. uh, so we're we're now working with Owen to sh- kind of share his knowledge and expert uh, expertise with with teachers uh, around the world. Okay, great. Sounds like we should get him on as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, o- Owen's great. Owen's mm-hmm. great. Um, and I, so it's it's Owen and Ben Crompton and I think Militza. There's three three of them that run mm-hmm. that, that website. Okay. Um, and actually, I can go on because Owen is is one of the writers of our new online course that okay. we are running uh, on the British Council uh, platform, which we've we've called Climate Action in Language Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are three modules to that that course. And actually, Owen's module is the second module, and it's uh, about sort of integrating sustainability into your teaching. And that, that module is free, and it's going to start um, very soon, on the 19th of, of May, <clears throat> excuse me, this month. So if anybody's interested out there, they can have a look, they can register for free, and they could, they could join that module uh, quite soon, next week. Okay, great. Is that a, a course that's going to run again, or is it going to be the materials going to be available online? So the way that we run our courses... Um, there are elements that are self-study that you do at a time that suits you. Um, but there's also a, a Facebook group uh, where we have a, a moderator who moderates sort of discussions around the contents of that course. And we tend to find that trying to like have a fixed start and end date to a course and having some interaction around it makes it uh, you know, a better experience all round rather than just a, a course that you do, you know, completely self-study on your own at any time. So actually the dates are fixed. Um, We're finishing module one tomorrow um, uh, and we're starting module two, as I said, next week. But we, module one has already had uh, over a thousand teachers from about 95 countries uh, participate. So it's been a success and we're we're already planning to rerun the modules one and two, Mm -hmm. uh, probably later in June, uh, and later in the year. Okay, great. Um, perfect. And uh, what are some of the practical ideas that they will get from the course? Um, well, there's two things. Um, in our first module, we really looked at how teachers can start to introduce environmental issues into their teaching. And one of the things is to sort of localize it. Or one of the problems has been with a lot of course books in the past is that they might have had a traditional unit on the environment but that unit often focused on uh sort of problems and mm-hmm. so we uh, i think owen and others have called it the, the polar bear 
problem. Yeah. So there'd be a, you know, an image of a melting ice cap and it just seems a long, long way away from most people's daily lives. And that hasn't always been the, the best way of engaging young people. Um, so one of the sort of key recommendations is, and this is a, a, a recommendation for publishers as well as, as well as, as well as teachers is to make sure that when you're doing an environmental lesson that you, you make it local. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you talk about the, the kind of environmental issues in your neighborhood, in your community, um, how climate change is having an impact where you live. And then to start thinking about what action you can take, um, your school can take to, to, to tackle that. And I think it's also another message that's come across is that we don't want to really be, you know, doomsdayers. Yeah. Obviously, we're in a crisis and terrible things are going to happen if the world continues to heat up. But we don't want all of our lessons to just be focused on, you know, these kind of catastrophic um, scenarios. We need to mm -hmm. be focusing on also on things like adaptation, green jobs, um, positive ways, you know, in, let's find stories of of individuals or or organisations that are doing good um, things in order to make a difference to inspire people. Um, that that's another sort of key takeaway. The third, I'll just briefly mention one other. Um, so one is about localization and keeping it positive. The second thing that Owen talks a lot about, which is really interesting, which is you know don't just keep your green lesson to unit seven in the course book and right. have like two lessons on it once a year, but how can you maybe embed or integrate sort of environmental responsibility throughout all your teaching? It, it doesn't have to be the primary focus of the lesson, but you could have a, you know, put your green spectacles on, we say, and, and look at every lesson from an environmental point of view and sort of think if I'm doing a lesson about transport today, you know, the focus might be on on transportation or on present perfect or present continuous. Mm -hmm. I might have a question or two at the end that says, you know, what would be the most environmentally responsible way to get to work um, and things like that. Yeah, because there isn't an area or a topic that it doesn't touch, right? I mean, if you're talking about holidays, then there's sustainability to think about. If you're talking about uh, transport, like you said, if you're talking about food, there's always a green uh, lens you can view it through, right? So it's, yeah, it's just yeah, but a I think of, yeah. there's a green and also you know we've seen course books change over the years and like there's greater awareness now in you know, for for publishers that they need to have better like, gender representation mm -hmm. or they need to have um, uh, you know make sure that they have equality, diversity, and, and inclusion throughout their course books and and I would argue and we would argue that they should also have a kind of environmentally responsible approach. To their content as well so th i think the people who write course books should be doing that when they're you know, thinking about that as they mm -hmm. as they write course books because often teachers don't have the, the freedom to deviate too much away from from the course books themselves but until that's done and done well then we as teachers can have our own uh, critical eye on on our lessons and make sure that we're um you know we're, we're teaching in a way giving a, an environmentally responsible message to learners because, you know, learners do pick up and, and uh, a lot from our, from teachers, obviously, when they're at school. Mm -hmm. Definitely, 100%. Um, what would you say are some little immediate tweaks that uh, a teacher could make uh, to become greener? My favourite one, actually, in terms of uh, doing something immediate is around images um, so there's a, a really interesting organization called Climate Visuals. Uh, you can look them up uh, online. And they, I mean, they don't think about teaching or our education necessarily. Mm -hmm. They were actually focused on the media and how the climate crisis is portrayed in, in the press. And they were basically saying, you know, they had a strap line that said, um, climate change has got an image problem. Um, because they again they were saying that all these images of polar bears or or beautiful wind turbines you know in the in the sun or um, even pictures of of forest fires that these were these images were all very abstract and 
they didn't really make you know, the, it, they were not human stories mm-hmm. they were not showing the human impact of of climate change and so they were kind of arguing that the media is, is failing in conveying the crisis and conveying the, the issues so my reflection on that and recommendation for teachers is when you're thinking about images and we use images a lot as teachers is to carefully select photographs that show human stories um not not just abstract images of of yeah ice caps and forest fires but but have some pictures of pollution um plastic with you know how and how that's impacting on people mm-hmm. definitely that's a really good way of raising students awareness um and thinking about well teachers thinking about it from their own perspective as well yeah, and they can obviously think about the images that are relevant for their community again, mm-hmm. make them relevant local images. Um, yeah, and then going a, a, a step on from that would be to think about you know, projects that you do with your students. And mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in project work and, and you know, using your practicing your English outside the classroom. And and these days, I think a lot of kids enjoy like making short movies, TikTok videos, mm-hmm. or or YouTube clips on their phones. So getting them to go and make a climate kind of little little mini story as a project and then editing it together and showing it back to the uh, kind of other students, I think would be uh, something they would love to do. Yeah, definitely. Definitely sparks like, you know, um, yeah, moments of inspiration for them and then they can express it in their own way. Okay. There's this, there's this great video. Um, there's a guy called Naz. Daily, who uh, used to do these kind of one-minute Facebook uh, clips, were really inspirational. Uh, I saw one the other day called uh, "The Tree Man of India." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's brilliant. It's like four minutes long. He's telling a story about this guy in India who, over forty years, planted all these trees and has built his own forest. And I was just thinking, yeah, that would be a great project. Just get ask your students to find somebody in the community yeah. who's doing something and then tell their story. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, like a, an inspirational local person who's doing something practical that, yeah. Well, really that, that was my idea because I thought sometimes you ask kids, you know, what are you doing? And they might not feel they're doing very much themselves. Yeah. Um, and they might be, and then they can tell mm-hmm. their own story. But and everybody could find somebody who is and yeah. then tell, you know, that other person's story for them in English mm-hmm. um, uh, and then raise awareness of, you know, champion your, you know, the, the climate leaders in your your community yeah definitely that's definitely i feel an idea for a good project coming on <laughs> <laughs> um i understand that you've actually got your own podcast that you're launching soon can you tell us a bit about yeah. that <laughs> uh so i'm not the podcast specialist um mm-hmm. we came up with an idea and uh, we commissioned uh chris soton um who's a, a quite well-known uh, sort of ELT expert, especially in areas around resilient language for resilience, we call it, and uh, teaching English in challenging circumstances. And Chris and another Chris, there's lots of Chris's involved in our mm-hmm. projects. It seems <laughs> that's the name you needed to have to yeah. come and work on this. But Chris Dyer is a sort of a, a podcast and audio expert. And together, they have finished recording 10 episodes of a new podcast series. Um, so this podcast series is called The Climate Connection. Uh, I can tell you a funny story that we wanted to call it Meltdown, and we were going <laughs> to take the, the letters E-L-T out of Meltdown and highlight it in a, a sort of different way. Yeah. But it, was, uh, it didn't get past our British Council brand team. So uh, it's not called Meltdown. It's called The Climate Connection. Okay. It's not uh, as catchy. We're very but... proud of it. And uh, yeah, the 10 episodes and uh, it's actually going live uh, tomorrow for okay. episode one. The trailer's up um, and you can subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else that you find podcasts uh, from today. Brilliant. So it's out there. Okay. Um, well, at the end of this interview, we're going to play a little uh, clip of the podcast to give uh, our listeners a taste. Um, where else can people get uh, information on the on the project, what uh, websites or social media platforms should they go to if they want to get involved? Yeah, so we have 
two kind of main sites. One is the British Council has a new site called the Climate Connection, uh, which is the global British Council program. So what I've been talking about is just one strand. Mm -hmm. So if you searched for the Climate Connection, it's the name of our podcast, but it's also the name of the British Council's program. So that's a, a new website that has details about everything we're doing. And then if you're a teacher, uh, I would recommend just going to the British Council's Teaching English uh, website because that's where we're putting our podcast and our online module registration pages. Uh, we'll be putting some new lesson plans for teachers um, next month there as well. So look out for those. There's 12 lesson plans coming. So, yeah, those are those kind of two sites. Uh, and then regular social media channels. Um, mm -hmm. We'll be uh, highlighting things there as well. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for talking to us today, Colm. Um, and now we're going to hear a little clip of your podcast. Oh, no, thank you very much, Tim. This is the, the first time I've been uh, sort of a guest on a podcast myself. <laughs> so it's a great experience. And, I hope uh, you've enjoyed really it. Really an honor to, to be on yours. So, and, and, Great that you're doing this special episode around green ELT this mm -hmm. year. Um, the time to act is now is the kind of I think the slogan or the, the message that we all need to, mm -hmm. to get on with. Definitely, 100%. Okay, well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Take care. The Climate Connection. I think it's Nelson Mandela who said education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. La Conexión Climática. There's a large group of people who are often left out of the climate conversation. There's so much that we can be learning from indigenous communities around the world, for example, who despite contributing the least to climate change are facing some of the worst effects. We ran a project called BYOP, Bring Your Own Plant. Unbelievable results. We were getting, you know, ADHD cut by three quarters. Turns out it wasn't the kid that had the attention deficit. It was the environment was deficiting their attention, you know. The Climate Connection. Climate Action in Language Education. A new 10-part podcast series from the British Council. Available wherever you get your podcasts. So we're speaking to Daniel Barber from ELT Footprint. Uh, good morning, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks, Tim. Thanks very much for um, asking me to come in. No worries at all. Um, so you could, could you give us a little bit of background, sort of the origin story of the ELT Footprint movement? Yeah, um, I think it's probably been bubbling away for many people for a long time. Um, and that's interesting, once once the ELT footprint was formed, how many kind of people came out of the woodwork and sort of mm -hmm. said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Um, but uh, I guess from my own personal background, it was, I've always been um, into, into nature ever since I was a kid. And I still am now. Um, and increasingly over the last sort of decade or so aware the awareness of 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 what's going on in terms of the unsustainable way that human beings are impacting the planet um and then things like Greta Thunberg and you know Fridays for Future Extinction Rebellion I think the, the kind of awareness was there then countries a few countries started um weighing in with their you know their climate emergency declarations um and then and also an awareness that the a lot of this was kind of greenwashing a lot of this was them just going mm -hmm. along with the with the fashion for declaring climate emergencies but that didn't stop me from doing it for the elt profession so i was at the innovate conference in barcelona mm -hmm. in um a couple of years ago and I was asked, because I've, I've been a sort of long time um, member of the Innovate thing. I was there at yeah. the beginning. I'm one of those, I'm like one of those sad hippies that keeps going to Glastonbury <laughs> every year um, and has been going since the 70s. And, I, and, and, and they asked me to, 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 to speak at the end of this fight. This was like the fifth year anniversary of Innovate mm -hmm. Conference um, about the, the next five years. 
And so it was kind of an opportunity. It was like a blank slate for me to sort of talk about anything I wanted to yeah. really. And I used that platform to, to declare an emergency on behalf of the ELT profession, rather presumptuously, I suppose. But, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone else has any particular authority to do it. There's no prime minister of no. ELT. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll just take that role and do it myself. And, um, and it kind of, I, I, I had no idea what that would look like, but I mm-hmm. felt that there was the need for some kind of space where teachers could start to talk about it, to get together. And um, a couple of my friends took me at face value on that and were prompted. I think they, I think Kerry, Kerry Jones is one of them. Catherine Billsborough is another one mm-hmm. and Christopher Graham. And they're the, between the three of them and me, we are the kind of founding members of ELT footprint. And I think for they, they described that declaration as a kind of a spark. I think the fire was already prepared. It just needed the spark. And, and very proactively they, they set up the Facebook group and, uh, and, and, and we started immediately within a couple of days we had four or 500 members and we're now at three and a half thousand mm-hmm. um, and with new people joining every week. That's good going. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you I say? should say that really Kerry, Kath and Chris did most of the hard work. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just sort of said, uh, how about this? And they went, yeah, let's do it. And they did it. And I went, oh, okay. Nice. It's always great to have those people in a, in an organization. <laughs> People that the take movers, the, the, movers the movers and the shakers, shakers absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, we can't all be the you know the ideas people. People need to yeah. get stuff off the ground. Um, what would you say is the the mission statement then? It's funny because you asked me this. You said, "Well, this is a question I might ask you the other day." My mission statement, and and it is really good because it it we first of all we didn't have one. No, and now we do because of oh, you. Really? So thank you very oh, much. Oh wow! For that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, and it was really interesting because I had to go. Well, what is a mission statement? And then I learned about mission statements and vision statements, mm-hmm. and all this kind of thing. So we've kind of got a vision statement which I've put together in the last few days, right? Um, and I've but I've also posted it on on the Facebook group and said, you know, what do people think? So it may be that people don't like this one, but mm-hmm. as a kind of working model mission statement, we've got. Um, shall I read it out? Yeah, go for it. We bring together members of the ELT profession who share a desire to be part of the solution. We act as a springboard for transformative change from within our profession. The goal, turn ELT into a model profession that advocates environmental justice and reduces its carbon footprint so that we can play our part in halting global heating. That's good. So... Yeah, so I'm perhaps a bit wordy and lengthy. I don't know how long they're supposed to be, but um, that kind of says it all, really. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, <laughs> and how is your how is your organisation affecting change immediately? What are some of the practical impacts you're ha- you're having? I think the first thing is is we're raising awareness. Mm-hmm. I think people are. I mean, there's a lot of information people that you wouldn't necessarily think of immediately when you think of schools and ELT and and environment uh, you're probably thinking about recycling paper Mm because that's something that a lot of schools waste in in the staff room and and in the classroom Um, you but you know there it goes all the way from that sort of very micro level of day-to-day practice all the way up to you know flights and conferences Mm. one, uh, I know, you, um, I believe you're speaking to uh, ELT Footprint UK and they, yeah. you know, their industry is very much based on flights because mm-hmm. people fly into Britain to, to learn English. So, you know, there's a big question to ask themselves there, but mm-hmm. on a perhaps a lesser extent, it's in all those different ways. And I think so raising awareness is has been really important. Um, and then discovering uh the unity i think one of the wonderful things was as i mentioned all these people coming out of the woodwork and 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 saying i've been doing this for for a number of years so a very good example is owen Llewellyn, who uh, is in el who set up elt sustainable mm-hmm. which is a website full of lesson plans all to do with the environment and he's been doing it since 2012 
but like some sort of John the Baptist out in the desert for the last, <laughs> so for like, you know, the first several years, I don't know, he was getting visits and he was, you know, people were, were, um, were, were using his lessons mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, but he, it was very much a much more lonely um, job at the time. And, yeah. and ELT footprint has, you know, really helped him to boost his awareness of his work that he's been doing. So that's a real, that's really what ELT Footprint is. It's mm -hmm. a hub. It's a it's a it's a meeting point, um, and and it's where we put people in touch with one another. Um, discussions take place, um, and and now you know people are working on projects. Owen, Owen, myself, and other people active in ELT Footprint are working on projects that to do with the environment, to do with sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, we've been, both of us been recently working for the British Council. Um, I know that he works for, uh, he's been doing some lesson planning for um, Green Schools, which is another initiative um, uh, in that's going on. And so it's really providing a, a springboard for action within the industry. Mm -hmm. So we're making change as a group, yeah. but I think individual members are then acting in a multitude of ways, mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, and and it's just an exciting place to be and see all of this going on. Definitely. And like, like you said, shining light on work that's already going on and be able to take examples from people in different contexts and apply them across across the board. That's exactly, really good yeah. to have that yeah. sort of hub, that meeting place um, and have it all tied together. Um, how do you envisage the, the green classroom of the future? How do you think uh, things will be in a sort of idealized ELT industry in the future? What do you think <laughs> it will be like? I mean, there's so much to unpack in that mm -hmm. question. Yeah, uh, I don't know where I really start. I mean, I for the first thing I'd like to say is that a vision, an image, a a picture of the future is a really important aspect mm -hmm. of activism um, because once you have your vision, then you can work out your path, how to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're still very much on it. We're still very much forming that image. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, my, okay, I'll give you one example of how ELT and the green classroom of the future may be different. So, one of the um, one one aspect that people may be familiar with uh, in ELT is the sort of uh, tefalebrity, the sort of notion that there are some practitioners out there who tend to be course book writers. Um, I suppose people like myself, but I'm I'm fairly low profile. But you know the Scott Thornberrys, the the Jeremy Harmers of the world, who who have a high profile within teacher development. Um, conferencing, course book writing, that kind of thing. Um, they're almost exclusively native speakers. Many of them are men. And um, and we and I it's have I've I've been this has happened to me. We get shuttled around the world mm -hmm. selling our wares. Yeah. Um, I mean I was flown to Mexico once for a one hour talk and then flown back again. And this was a few years ago and I remember feeling um, uncomfortable at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas now, of course, I would refuse to do something like that, even mm -hmm. if they paid me, you know, a thousand pounds. It's it's it, so one way I can see this working is with the decentralization of that teacher training, mm -hmm. um, so that conferences take place, but they're on a much more local level. Right. Uh, there are various advantages to that. G almost invariably, local teachers have local expertise and are much better informed, better able to share their knowledge with people about relevant things, whether it's teaching mm -hmm. young learners. So here down in Andalusia, for example, the vast majority of uh, teachers teach young learners. Um, and so that would be a sort of area of specialization, which you might not get someone coming in, someone coming in from London, say, who teaches yeah. exclusively adults. So you get that advantage of, of that. But the other thing is that the native speakers aren't going to be flying from Britain or America or Australia or wherever they or wherever they live. Often mm -hmm. a lot of them live in Spain, it seems, yeah. or Italy, <laughs> you know, attractive places to be. Yeah. So you, you develop your, you create the sort of expertise and the mini 
um, you know, the, the teacher trainers, the teacher developing um, expertise locally. And I think that will be a very positive step. And it kills two birds with one stone. It mm -hmm. sort of changes it makes ELT more sustainable, but not just environmentally sustainable, but also socially sustainable because it creates a, a, a sort of more equal playing field between native and non-native speaker teachers. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 one example of how a, a very positive side of, of uh, aspect of, of the green classroom of the future. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, well, this year, last year has taught us a lot. I mean, everyone's had to get skilled up on you know, online platforms, attending online conferences, teaching online. Uh, that's one, yeah, of, absolutely. one of the good things we've got out of it is this need, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Or it's an easy way to learn something if you have to use it. Um, so one good thing is that we've all been upskilled in using all these technologies. So now we can put them into practice um, beyond the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that happened this morning. Um, I'm with. I'm writing a. a I'm one of a writing team that's writing a course mm -hmm. at the moment for National Geographic Learning, and we we were talking about these teacher development videos that we need to, that we're going to make to accompany the course for the teachers who are using the books, and a couple of them have been filmed in in Britain, uh, in the studio, um, but I'm down to do a couple as well, and I was asking about this and they were much much more open they were talking about the advantages of a more flexible approach where some of them are going to be in the studio some of them are going to be webinar style mm -hmm. some of them might be screencast with a narrator's voice over the top so that we can look at the text themselves some of them might be kind of more slideshows uh, some of them might be interviews over online over, like as we're doing now tim mm -hmm. so um immediately and, and i'm not sure that conversation would have happened a year and a half ago i think where they're now very much more aware that um, people don't mind slightly less professional quality just because it's done at home. And in fact, yeah. realizing that we can create as good a quality mm -hmm. at home or almost as good as in the studio. So that's a really positive side of things, I think, that mm -hmm. uh, has, as you say, uh, out of necessity has come this realization that we can learn online, we can teach online, we can we can produce good quality stuff online and we don't need to yeah um you know worry so much about flying people in and around the, around the world definitely 100 percent. i think a lot of when well, not just in this industry but there's a lot of that um thought of this is the way we've always done it so this is how we have to do it and something like the pandemic mm. can come along and you know uh change people's mindsets around these things and yeah. you know it's a positive we can take out of it but i'd like to i, I can i just add a um um, a, a slight nubble in there, a slight yeah. spanner in the works, which mm -hmm. is that we need to also be aware of our digital footprint. True. And the amount of um, data that's being passed from place to place. So another aspect of the green classroom of the future that I would like to see and I think is necessary is less gloss. Mm -hmm. So why do a video when audio is fine? Yeah. Like, you know, you, people are listening to this podcast. They don't need to see us. Mm -hmm. um, but people insist on um, video podcasting, yeah. you know. Uh, course books don't need to be produced on glossy paper with glossy photographs. They can be done in a much more sort of recyclable, paper-free mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that idea of just having a much less glossy um, ex expectation Right. That products don't need they can they can look good, but they can be simple, streamlined, mm -hmm. take up less band bandwidth, basically. That's that's that for you feels to me like a necessary step for all of us, whether it's watching less Netflix or paying more for it or whatever mm -hmm. um as well. Because yeah. you know, in, 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 in all aspects of our life we're very very used to comfort, luxury, gloss, presentation. Yeah, definitely. And and Packaging. that feels to me like mm -hmm. it'll be it'll look very anachronistic in twenty years' time. Yeah, I think so. The way too. we live our life. Yeah. Um last year you guys won an Elton's Award for innovation and teaching resources. Um we so did, congratulations yeah. on that. And uh, and the website you have lots of links to various lesson plans. Um, things like related to Buy Nothing Day, uh, fest talking about music festival footprints. Um, are there any of those 
particular lesson plans or um, things that, that are your favorites or that you would point point people to? There's um I, I focus on the blog. I mean, we've got resources which are sort of a, a work in progress on the mm-hmm. website. Um, there's some useful stuff, for example, um, uh, if you're planning on an event or a conference and you want to be as green as possible, there's some tips and advice there. Mm-hmm. So conference organizers, teacher trainers. Um, so looking at what um, different teacher training schools can do and the message they can give new teachers um, on things like certificate courses. Um, there's uh, advice for schools as well, like kind of green charters. So there's all these templates and things which are very useful. Mm-hmm. And that's really the main use of the footprint website and then on the other side we've got the blog um and Mm -hmm. i really highly recommend following the blog which you can do if if anyone's listening and and isn't yet a member of elt footprint join the facebook group um and that way you get sort of links to all the latest stuff um and we've had some really interesting blog posts from from people um things like using images in course materials and the choice of images and the problems with environmental images, mm-hmm. um, the kind of stereotypical images, things like that. Some really fascinating stuff to do with that, to do with using art and different projects um, and, and and some serious discursive stuff as well about uh, post, post-pandemic uh, ELT and, and, and how that all works and all the rest of it. So, I, I mean, things keep coming up on the website all the time. So I don't really have a favourite no. um, in particular, no. But it's a great bunch of resources there. I mean, I spent a good deal of time over the weekend taking a look at some of it. And yeah, well done on it. Great, thank you. Um, what would you say, so we've been asking all, our, all the people we've been interviewing, like one, one small change that a teacher could make um, or someone in the industry could make immediately to make a difference. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to cut the words small, okay. one small thing that they Good can do. Um, I mean, there are two answers, I think. Uh, first of all, one answer I could give is the usual kind of eat less meat, mm-hmm. eat more locally, buy less plastic, uh, don't travel, so you know, question your reasons for traveling by plane, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. and they're all fine and good. And, um, and so teachers in the class can also look at, there's plenty of um, lesson plan ideas on the ELT Footprint website. Um, just join in, uh, the, the, the group and ask uh, and you know for something that you want to talk about or do in class, whether it's about reducing plastics or recycling or whatever. Somebody will come up, will tell you a, a lesson that you could do or an idea you could do. Mm-hmm. But um, more and more, I think there's a better answer, which is, is to learn about the causes of global heating, mm-hmm. to learn the science, to recognise that until we pressure governments and big corporations to transform the way that countries and companies burn fossil fuels, we're not going to win. We can't do it by individual action alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and to recognise that they're unlikely to shift without a great deal of resistance. They're unlikely to change their ways because they're making lots and lots of money. Yeah. Um, but to recognise that there is strength in numbers, that people are learning quickly about the environment and about social justice and uh, and things, and that the two are connected, mm-hmm. and that there is a fight on our hands and we need to be prepared. Um, the other side has been fighting this war for at least three decades, four yeah. decades now. Basically, my lifespan, the oil companies have been very aware of the damage that they're doing to the planet, and they've been actually... Um, dictating the narrative. Um, mm. So there's lots of stuff, for example, about how you can reduce your carbon footprint. Well, it's interesting to note that the carb, the word, the, the term carbon footprint was coined by British Petroleum, really? who were looking to shift the narrative away from their mm-hmm. responsibility and put, place it on the, on the shoulders of, of their consumers. Right. Um, the same has been done for waste, plastic waste, by consortiums of, of you know, PepsiCo and, and, and Coca-Cola and that, the likes of those who got together basically and created anti-littering uh, advertising. <laughs> so these are the sorts of, this is the sort of information that makes me feel we are fighting the wrong battle when we're trying to sort of, you know, uh, get rid of straw, plastic straws. Yeah. Um, 
and and all the rest of it it feels like a distraction from what's mm -hmm. really going on and i think that so the best answer is that um uh teachers need to become aware of these things and mm -hmm. and then to find you know bring those discussions into the classroom yeah and uh, in the form of whatever readings discussions role plays mm -hmm. um so yeah. it's a big it's a big ask <laughs> it's not a small thing yeah um, no, fair enough but i think start by start by reading a few articles mm -hmm. about that about that narrative that's a very fascinating um history there yeah. that's a sort of hidden history that's only recently been uncovered and um it's quite exciting uh, to see that you know we're a few steps behind in the war and we yeah. need to catch up quickly definitely well it's definitely a lot of food for thought um uh so what's the website again where can people get more information so the the eltfootprint.org mm -hmm. eltfootprint all one word.org yeah um that's the website and then you've got your facebook group so if you just look up elt footprint on facebook you'll find us mm -hmm. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, again, a quick search on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. Um, so you can find us there as well. And then, uh, and I think, but I think um, Facebook is where the act, most of the action takes place, mm -hmm. um, where pretty much everything is. And then other LinkedIn and Twitter, perhaps not quite so um, um, kept up to date. Right. You know, perhaps every few days we talk, we, we kind of go onto Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for speaking, us to speaking to us today, Daniel. Thank you, Tim. And uh, keep up the good fight. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> Thank you. And you too. Wish you all the best with uh, two teas in a pod. Thank you very much. All right, that was that's the end of the episode. Yeah, that's the end of those. Another two fantastic interviews. Wow, thank you. <laughs> They're really fun. It's really good to meet such inspiring and inspired people mm -hmm. um, and chat to them about things they're passionate about. Um, check out the all the links that we're going to put in the description. Listen to the podcasts. Uh, download the lesson plans and materials. Yeah. Um, join support, the Facebook these groups. People, yeah. Follow them on Twitter. Um, amplify their voices because exactly. they're doing great work. The more you share and the more in the you interact with their stuff online, the more that mm. that we can share, spread the spread the word. Exactly. Um, and do the same with us because we also need to be <laughs> interacted with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So share if you've enjoyed this episode. Share it with your friends. Send it to people. Um, and yeah, let's strive to be greener. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Two teas in a pod. Thank you for listening to this episode of Two Teas in a Pod. I'd like to thank our wonderful producer, Ben Ward, our graphics man, Mark Wilding, the lovely singers on our intro, Lisa Marie Court, Bernice Ray, Vicky Milena, and myself. I'm not thanking myself. You know what I mean. And of course, my wonderful co-host, Tim Worry. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>